What's up, guys? My name is Juice Podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Here, joined by Ali Khan Bajani of the Athletic. Ali Khan, how you doing, man? Good, Salman. Uh, happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to everyone. Yeah, it has been an eventful week for the Rockets. Uh, I guess we can start with Jalen Green's return because he did return to the lineup. And I got to say, man, it feels so much more important when he plays than when he doesn't play. Like the Rockets, like overall, like we've collected a lot of important, important information while Green was out, right? Like Shingun specifically, like we collected a lot of important data, but we started, we started getting to it. We started getting to a tipping point where like, we needed to see Green because, like, that was really where, you know, that's really what Houston's season's all about. They took this guy with the second overall pick, and we want to see if this guy has flat, has star potential. And like, the, I guess now the games feel like they matter. And he returned against the Pacers, scored twenty points, seven of fourteen from the field, six of nine from three point range. And you know what? I want you to go first. How how did you react to that first game back? So, it was good. I mean, he had good moments, obviously. He shot the ball extremely well. He was getting into his zone. I was like, man, this guy can definitely shoot the basketball. Um, He can really, if he can shoot that consistently, and he's been working on that with John Lucas, if he can make that a consistent shot, not just making it, but, you know, getting into his one-two um, and, and with his mechanics, um, you know, not and um, getting into the open spots that he wants to, it's going to create so many things for his game. Because where he's best right now at this point in his career, he's an okay isolation player. I wouldn't say he's an isolation player per se. He kind of still struggles getting around the corner. But what he's really good in is using screens, especially out of like dribble handoff situations. And I was very happy to see how good he looked in that regard, especially as a passer. He didn't get the assist on a few occasions, but he made the pass that led to the pass that made the sh- that led to the shot. And so for from that standpoint, I was really eager to see how he was going to really digest the game, you know, sitting on the bench for as long as he did. And and the results for me, at least in terms of my notes, were pretty positive. Um Okay, so I, I don't want to be a, a wet blanket, so for, I'll start with this. I thought he played pretty well on the whole. Uh, he put in some time with John Lucas, as you said, to make his shot release quicker on those catch-and-shoot threes. And I thought it was important because if you looked at how he was shooting off the dribble and off the catch, it was like two different shooting forms. Like, his legs would, like, sway forward on those catch-and-shoots, and there was some hesitation, and it was like two motions instead of one. And he looked much more comfortable shooting off the bounce in general. And Lucas is kind of forcing him to get... Uh, that shot to you know within two seconds so that's going to benefit him long term obviously because you don't want defenders coming closing in on you uh, while you're you know ramping up that shot uh, he's had some nice passes in the paint uh, particularly one to Alperin Shangun on a pick and roll yeah his defense is like still a work in progress like he fell asleep on a couple assignments to start the game uh, it got better as he caught his bearings obviously the, the speed of the game looked like it shocked him um, but overall, that's still a weakness of his, and uh, it's not something I was expecting him to get better while he was rehabbing, obviously, but these are just my observations, obviously, and I guess my bigger question is, so he made six threes and one layup and didn't get to the free throw line, and he did have some other drives to the basket, like one of them got blocked by Miles Turner, which is fine, like it's Miles Turner, uh, but he couldn't finish through contact on a couple of drives, and I guess my question is like, are we going to get past the point this season where he needs to make a bunch of threes to be effective on the offensive end of the floor? 
or is that going to require him to get like stronger to finish through contact? Because he's clearly got a quick first step. He's athletic as hell. And I've seen him, you know, I've seen some creativity from him on the layups. So I guess like, is that just not going to happen this season for him? You know, we, we were there pregame, especially when Steven Silas talks about certain things like this. And he mentioned how it's going to take some time. They don't want to just overload him in terms of changing his body. They know, he knows, training staff knows that they got to be able to make him stronger, especially with that upper body. That's the only way a guy like him, who's so athletic with his legs, with that quick first step, is going to be able to observe contact and finish through the lane with all, in, in all that traffic. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to happen this season. I don't necessarily think it's going to happen next season. I think it's a two to three year journey for him to be able to put together a body that's going to be able to do the things that he wants to do at the offensive end of the floor. But, you know, someone you bring that point up about him and the pain. I want to bring up a few things that really stood out to me and something that I want to see um, um, see when, when it regards to him playing next to Shingun. So he's at, he's at the 90, he's in 91st percentile uh, in dribble handoff possessions. And that shoots up to 96th percentile when you do dribble handoff possessions when he goes into an actual dribble. So not just, you know, he gets the handoff from the big and he shoots the shot, which he's pretty effective at doing, kind of that catch-and-shoot variety. He's shooting his best percentage. He's, so he's shooting pretty poorly as a three-point shooter just because of the early part of the season, but he's shooting his highest percentage off those catch-and-shoots, off those screens. But he's even better when he's coming off the edge, using a quick first step off of a dribble handoff and getting into the paint. And the reason why he's so effective is when when – Teams are defending the dribble handoff, and he's getting into that live dribble going into the paint. Defenses almost always have to switch the action. So nine times out of ten, he's beating that big who's defending him into the paint. It's too easy um, for him to be able to score, which he's shown to do before the injury and even um, against Indiana. If his shot is falling like it did, if not like, like it's falling like it did then, because it kind of just opens a lot, a lot more space. So I know, you know. Rockets was like, no, I don't count the the first few games whenever they were playing with Tyson Wood together and Green there too. But, you know, there were things that worked for him there, especially that empty corner action, which is the closest thing you can get to him playing in space out of dribble handoffs. And based off of that tape I watched, based off of the Chicago game early on and based off of this Indiana game, I think kind of spamming that dribble handoff action and kind of seeing how he looks next to Shangun, allowing him to drive to the paint that way is going to be a good way for him to kind of develop that feeling of what it takes uh, to be able to attack these bigs like Miles Turner in the paint. Yeah, and listen, it's just one game back from a hamstring injury. He only played 25 minutes. Uh, he's probably not going to play, uh, you know, both games of this upcoming back-to-back. Uh, I still think he's going to end up being like a Zach Levine-level scorer eventually. Uh, but this has been my central concern uh, watching him this season when he's not hitting his jumper. Like, also, and you touched on it. Like, I'm, I'm glad you did. I'd like to see him start playing a ton of minutes with Shingun because Shingun is showing franchise cornerstone potential. And the Rockets clearly view Green as a franchise cornerstone because they took him number two in a stacked draft class. So you you have to start seeing those two develop some chemistry together. And they're they're currently at negative 30.2 per 100 possessions, which is brutal. But that's a very small sample size, only 127 minutes. And the Rockets haven't really tried to make that a central um, you know, lineup for them. And they have a bunch of complementary skill sets that leads me to believe that they'll end up being a good tandem one day. Like, Green is a good interior passer. 
Shangun is a good screener. Green is excellent at moving without the basketball. Like, excellent. Like, that's one of his strengths that wasn't talked about enough before the draft. Uh, Shangun is an elite passer who can find open cutters and shooters constantly. So while Green is moving, obviously, Shangun can presumably find him on these cuts and these open three-pointers. So it sounds like a match made in heaven, but I want to see Silas try to adjust his rotations so they're playing more together. Like, I want that to be more deliberate with those two. I, I agree, man. And I think I think just the, the things you mentioned offensively and the success they've had as a second unit, it just plays into it. I think it just plays into it for them to be able to see some time together. And especially with the fact that they're not playing Tice at all and they're playing smaller with these units, you have to have Jalen Green and Shingun play together. And I think you're going to see more of that, especially when Kevin Porter Jr. comes back. Great transition, because that was going to be my next point. Kevin Porter Jr. is return, returning to the lineup soon. And it offers us a unique opportunity to talk about how a season has gone so far. So before the season, I thought Porter Jr. was their most compelling storyline by far. Like it's his third season in the league. That's usually pivotal. We've seen players make leaps later into their career, but it typically happens around this time. And the Rockets have cleared the decks for him. Like I've said it before, like John Wall isn't playing right now because they believe in the potential of a future Porter Jr. and Jalen Green backcourt. Um, What are your thoughts on Porter Jr. so far? You know, he's this season, he's played really well in an area I did not see him playing that well in, which is off the ball. Um, if you look at the stats and look at the eye test, he's shooting the ball extremely well on those um, catch and shoot variety shots and also in terms of spot ups. And then also, whenever he's playing off the ball, like, like Eric Gordon's going good, he's spacing himself well on the perimeter. I think he he's shown to me that he can play that off-ball role next to a dominant ball handler, even though a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. likes and wants to have the ball in his hands. That willingness just to be able to play off-ball and be successful at it is a big thing for me. That being said, I'd like to see more of him playing next to Eric Gordon, who I would consider to be one of the best guards in terms of, not only the best guard on this team, but just one of the best guards in the league, playing next to him and playing next to Jalen Green and seeing how he plays next to two other guys who like to create their own offense. Oh, we're not even mentioning Christian Wood here. So I want to see a little bit more. I'm not there yet in terms of what I think he's going to be or what I envision his career going right now. But I do agree with you, Salman. There's something I I heard from Kevin McKell a few years ago. or This is when I first started covering the NBA. He said, you are who you are in your third year or fourth year in the league. And that was a question he said, and I think it was in regards to Terrence Jones. And that's something I always keep in mind whenever I'm looking at players. Yes, they can always change, and you can change the way your roles are within a specific team. The NBA can change, and your skill set then can be a great part of the team's, um, you know, just the way they play the, the way they play the game. But when it comes to the way the NBA works today, your first three to four years, that's your shot, especially if you're a first round if you're a first round pick like Kevin Porter Jr. He's going to get this season and very much next season to show that he can be a point guard, not only in this team, but in this league. And and I have to see more from him in terms of that playmaking. Yes, he, you know, had has flashes of being really good with, with the with pick and roll. He's actually probably, in my opinion, his, one of their best pick and roll players on the team. But even then, he has to be able to do more. The stats, I'm just saying the stats, guys. If Rockets fans don't attack me for talking about Kevin Porter Jr. when he needs to improve on. He's only 19 percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. I mean, if 
that does play into the fact that you know spacing plays a role and Tice was in there, but you cannot be 19th percentile and considered to be a starting caliber point guard in the league. Now, let alone a star, let alone a superstar, which I know Rockets fans want him to be, but just to be a starting caliber point guard in the NBA, you have to be much better than 19th, 19th percentile when it comes to pick and roll ball handling. So and, that's just kind of what I'm looking at. And by the way, I don't mean to cut you off. By the way, like for anyone who's like, we just have to dismiss all this data we collected while Daniel Tice and Christian Wood were playing together. That's not how that works, okay? Like, yes, like they, it's it was a dumb lineup for them to be throwing out, of course. But you can't just not like learn anything from all those all those minutes. Like that those are important minutes that we collected from Jalen Green, from Kevin Porter Jr., from Shingoon, from all these guys, Jay Sean Tate. Like you can't just throw all that out. I, I, I disagree. If anyone's making that point, I'm not sure if they are, but if anyone's making that point, because you kind of alluded to maybe there are people doing that. Oh no, I've I've yeah, dude, I've got I've like I've heard that in conversations or I've seen it in threads where it's people are like well, you know, the season actually started now where it's like, no, no, like, guys, like, season started. They are who they are at this point, right? They are 10 and 23. This The season did not start when the the winning streak started. They are the who at this point. They were, even if even though Tice played in those minutes, they had minutes where Tice didn't play. That date is still valuable. I mean, it's, it's, it's like you can't dismiss any minutes in the NBA because that kind of just shows who you are as a player. And I think for me, it's really important to acknowledge yeah, despite kind of everything that happened, Kevin Porter Jr. is still, according to data, this is synergy data, he's 19th percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. That has to change, guys, if he's going to be a starting caliber point guard. Like I said, not a star, not a superstar, just a starting caliber point guard in today's league. You have to be much better, which is why I said it's really – and I'm glad to hear it because he, he works so hard. So long can see this too in practice. We see it all the time. He works so hard on his game that he's playing extremely well as an off-ball player, something that a lot of Rockets fans knocked him on last year. Can he play well next to John Wall? Can he play ne- well next to anybody else? Kevin Porter Jr. has shown to me enough this season that he can play off the ball at, at, a, at a good level. And now we just have to see him whenever he returns play as that pick-and-roll player that I think he is, and I'm sure someone thinks he is as well. Yeah, and he's also improved as a defender, right? Because last year he was god-awful, and now he's not god-awful, right? So, like, he he is improved in that area, too. Um, and I told you I had a surprise question to you in regards to Kevin Porter Jr., and I'm going to bring it on to you right now. You ready? All right. I'm, I'm kind of nervous. I'm kind of nervous, but let's go. Would you offer Kevin Porter Jr. an extension right now? Depends on the type of extension you're talking to someone. I don't know any extension, extension. Any extension? Like just you can go with that question anywhere you like. No. Okay, uh, I'm I'm kind of there with you, and I it wouldn't be a straight no for me. I'd probably reach out to his camp and see where they think his number is at, and if if it's where I think they think his number is at, I would not give him that number. Right, I, I think they view them. I think Porter Jr. views himself as more than what I'd be willing to offer him money wise. So I think I'm, you know, this this is important because again, he's eligible for an extension this summer. One of the biggest reasons why th- I thought this was a compelling storyline for him, like I, 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 at this point, I would not offer him extension. And if I were to boil down my skepticism of Porter Jr. down to three things, it's this: uh, number one, the turnovers. Uh, his turnover percentage has actually gone up from 16 to 22% this season while his while his usage rating has largely stayed the same. And it hasn't largely stayed the same. It's it stayed the same. Um and in traditional metrics it's gone up from three and a half to four turnovers per game. 
And again, his usage is the same and his minutes are actually down two per game. And the shooting efficiency, like his, he's shooting 46.4% true shooting, which is down from last season. And he was 52.8% last season, which is not good either. And he's basically gone from, I mean, he's basically a non-threat from three-point range. Like he's shooting 31% from three this season, 32% for his career. You mentioned that he's shooting well off the ball, uh, which I didn't know, you know, and that's encouraging, you know, that's, that's, that's important data as well. But on the whole, still not a good three-point shooter. And overall, I look at him and I just don't believe he'll be a starting caliber point guard for a playoff team one day. And I think he's going to be a I I think he's gonna be a very good rotation guard. I think he could I could see him being a six man type. I think he'll have a long career. And I still think Houston absolutely stole him away from the Cavs because they traded nothing for him. But unless he he gets substantially better in the second half of this season, I'm just lower on him than most. And I as well, I, I personally would not offer him that extension. I would wait until restricted free agency and see what the open market offers him. I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say this comparison, Solomon, because the six man comparison that's not the first time I've heard it. Um, I've heard this before from a scout. Just curious, what you think um, in regards to a comparison? If he can kind of get his shot good, play with the athleticism that he has, Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, it's not crazy. Like I I, I compared him before to uh, Dennis Schroeder. Which is, you know, the size comparison's not great, not not the best, but like in terms of you, if you compare those two on Basketball Reference, like it's pretty remarkable how similar they are statistically. But yeah, I mean, that's they. I agree, like that's the kind of role I see him fitting in, into in the NBA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, listen, like I think you and I are probably the most skeptical in Rockets media of Porter Jr. But we still think he's going to be good, right? Like both of, both of us still, to be clear, both of us still believe he's going to be a good NBA player, right? Yeah, I'm not dismissing him. Like I, because I, I know Rockets fans like to attack your podcast, but I don't know what it is with your podcast, Salman. I always just hear Rockets <laughs> attacking you for no reason. I don't understand why. You know, I don't think they listen to it fully. So if they've listened long enough, I'm making my point here clear. Not saying that Kevin Porter Jr. will not become a star or superstar. I'm not saying that he still has a shot to do it. But we're just talking about the data that shows itself right now and based off of kind of our, our, our time in the NBA. You know, he still has a ways to go. We're eager to see how he comes back and plays next to Jalen Green, Eric Gordon, and Christian Wood. And let's see what he can do with his time away. He's going to be healthy He's because they've taken so much time into making sure he's healthy. He's going to be on the bench um, for this entire time. So when he comes back, he'll have even more time to see how the offense has functioned. We'll have more shooters around him, more space. Can this ideal situation for him offensively, um, ideal pick and roll situation for him offensively, tend to make him a better passer, um, less turnover prone player, and just a better player overall? Eager to see it. Let's see what happens before now on the trade deadline. Yeah, and, and two more minor things. I, I hate to bag. I, I don't want to bag on the guy. Like this is just you know. I noticed this while you, I remember this while you're talking. The the handle is still not tight. Like there are moments where he'll dribble it off his foot or he'll dribble it too high. And he'll it'll cause a turnover. And there are moments where, like, you know, we talk about Jalen Green being this excellent off-ball mover, right? So he'll he'll do all the work, and he'll he'll be in a position to score, or you know, score off the bounce, or score off a catch and shoot. 
and Kevin Porter Jr. kind of has blinders on and like won't give the ball back to him. Like he'll it'll be kind of like a, a give and go or like a drill handoff, and he won't do that. And like that's kind of like that's kind of the stuff that makes me skeptical. Yeah, I mean, Solomon, you're not wrong. And just to give the data aspect of it too, the suggest on pick and roll possessions as a ball handler, pick and roll ball handler possessions, he turns it over on 26% of those possessions. So, gotta be much better than that, especially with your decision making if you're going to be a point guard. Yeah, and I think he will end up settling into like a, a shooting guard type that can pass better than most shooting guards. Yeah. Like, like that's kind of where I, I don't see him as point guard per se. I see him as shooting guard that can pass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So let's let, let's move on. Alper and Shengun. Starting to receive. Oh, you're you're your favorite player. Okay. Let's yeah, do this. I, I'm I'm getting teased about this left and right. By the way, so I go into. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm I hate to get sidetracked, but I'm going to for a second. So I go into the Rockets. Uh, you know, I go to the Toyota Center every single day, and I'll get into an argument with Jonathan Fagan or with Kelly Eco or with um, Adam Spolane about. Upper and Shingun and like why he's not playing more or why he's not starting or like 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 and I completely understand that I'm biased right like this is a guy I loved for a long time but it, it drives me crazy sometimes you know like some of the decision making around like the, the minutes and stuff and we'll talk about it right now so he's starting to receive more right so in six out of the last eight games Shingun has played at least 20 minutes per game uh, Silas is starting to give him a minutes bump and they're doing it by playing more of Wood and Shengun together. Now, I said on the last episode why well, I don't believe in that lineup for Houston long-term. I think they should be playing as much of it as they can uh, before the trade deadline. And and Ben, to his credit, uh, said this as well. Um, ben Dubos. So they can have some of this data to make a decision at the trade deadline. You know, whether it's a decision of action or it's a decision of, of inaction. Uh, right now, uh, it's a negative twelve point four per one hour possessions. Uh, that's it, it, you know, in the last episode, it was negative ten. It's gone up to negative twelve. It's it's been bouncing around between you know negative ten and negative twelve all year. Right? It's not it's not really much movement there. Uh, what have you thought of the minutes bump and you know those Shangun and Wood lineups as a whole? Like, do you believe in those long term? Okay, so I'm going to start off with kind of what I think of him so far. Um, this is past nine games. Okay. 11 points per game, six rebounds per game, three assists per game, one and a half blocks per game, and around 21, 22 minutes per game. Um, Before that, in his first 23 games of the season, he only averaged eight points a game, four rebounds a game, 2.5 assists per game, half a block in 18 minutes. So he's gone up a little bit. You know, we've talked about this with Steven Silas, and People don't like his answer, but I'm going to repeat it again because I agree with his answer. It's all about making sure he doesn't foul while staying engaged defensively. Ooh, I'm so glad you brought this topic up. I'm continue. You, I'm so happy you brought this up. <laughs> you know, he is very engaged defensively. I don't think there are moments where he's not engaged as much as he doesn't make the smart play. Sometimes, even though he's a very cerebral guy. Where he gets knacked on more than others is being physical and playing with his hands in situations where, you know, as a defender, you should play your hands. And he has to learn he's not getting that respect yet as a defender. You know, there's moments where he beats the guy to where he's supposed to go, but he's a rookie. And 
he puts his hand there. Or he's he doesn't do, he doesn't do something that, that's supposed to be done at an NBA level in terms of veteran presence, and he would call for a foul. And you know I, he does get picked on. I'm not you know he, he does you know he he as a rookie you know you're not going to get every single call. I want to say picked on. I'm not going to say the refereeing is rigged against. Him. I don't like I don't like talking about referees in that way because I that, that's that's dumb. I don't like doing that. But I will say when it comes to Shingun, he does pick up more fouls than others, especially touchy fouls. And it's an adjustment that he has to be able to make in his own game to be smarter and to be able to be more, you know, pick his pick better spots and when he's going to be aggressive and more handsy than others. And I think until he gets that type of um, respect or until he kind of gets that presence where he's not fouling as much or getting called for as many fouls, he has to be able to do that because otherwise he's not going to stay on the floor. Yeah, he's not at the—yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Continue. No, no, no. I was asking, like, what, what, what do you think? Because you, you, you obviously are excited about me bringing that up. What, what do you think about my, my answer when I said it's up to him not to be able to foul? Okay, so he's clearly not at the level where he can't, where he can screen without fouling yet, right? Like that's that's a big area where he picks up fouls, right? Like I'm not sure if there's foul dat- data out there. Like there might be, I'm not sure, but he he gets a lot of those calls when he's setting a screen. Yeah. And it's probably on second spectrum, which I don't have access to, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, and neither do I, right? So we're just we're just going off our eyes, right? Like, so it does seem like he picks up a lot of those fouls when he's setting that screen, and he can't get away with the handsy stuff that you know Clint Capella could, you know, a couple years ago here in Houston, right? Because Clint Capella had established himself, so he's not at that level yet. But the question I have for like the coaching staff is, and this is, um, I apologize for being a bit crude here. But who gives a f- if he fouls out? Like, who cares? Like, what is the point of this season if not to let the rookies make their mistakes? Why is why is Kevin Porter Jr. and Jalen Green, why do they get roped to make mistakes, but he doesn't? Why specifically him? Is it because he was drafted 16th? Like, I know the organization believes he, was, he should have been drafted higher because they traded two first-round picks for him. But it seems like there's an inconsistency there in that, yes, they, they are high on him clearly because they did that. But they don't give him that room to make mistakes. They don't give him that, that that wiggle room. Like let's just say they're trying to win games. Maybe that's a reason they're doing that. I don't think that makes much sense, right? Like you, first of all, you you shouldn't be trying. That should not be your number one priority. Obviously, you should try to win games, right? I'm not I'm not saying the coaching staff shouldn't try to do that. Obviously, yeah. that's their number one priority. But their number two, three, four, five priority is development, player development. And that happens through playing through your mistakes. And this idea that he can he's not allowed to play through mistakes, but everybody else on the roster is. It, it doesn't make it, it's not you know, I don't I don't appreciate the inconsistency there. I you know <laughs> <laughs> I made a good point, right? I stumbled you. Nah, you, you didn't make a good point. So I'm gonna say this about at least the wooden shingling pairing. Because I think it goes back to your point. When, when we talk about someone answer these questions for me when we're talking about wood and shangun playing together what is wood's position defensively when he's playing with shangun when what is wood's position defensively when he's playing with shangun yes. uh, he's probably power forward yeah yes exactly so shangun is the five shangun is the one defending bigs offensively what is shangun's position in the offense not not normal position not like a power forward center yeah within that five out system where does shangun hang around and where does wood hang around shangun hangs around in the paint and wood hangs out hangs around the perimeter so he's a center yes yeah yes and shangun is usually that focal secondary option 
outside of the initial pick and roll ball handler. So let's 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 take a look at this book, those things, and kind of talk about it defensively. Shangun is actually 50th percentile as a big against perimeter players in isolation, which to me, I really like that stat. And let me tell you why. It's not you know, bad. Bit, it's not it's bad. It's not bad at all. It's yeah. not bad at all. It's not the best, but what thing, why I mention it, because it matches my eye test. It matches when I watch games and I break down the film. That's what I see. He tries. He keeps his hands out. And if you look at that 50th percentile, a lot of those positions do not end up in a shooting foul because he, you know, he does a good job of kind of beating the player to the spot. The player may sometimes be quicker than him, get around him, shoot over him, but he's really good um, at being able to kind of just play to his strengths. And 50th percentile is not a bad thing. And and, and, so, and and in those positions, he's a good swiper. Like he he has good hands. He swipes like somebody goes past him. He's gonna go for the block or the steal from behind. Yeah. Yes. And and one one the reason I mentioned that about Shangun is because like we just talked about, Shangun is the five. And what does that mean? Oftentimes when you are the five defensively, there's going to the, the, I I think the most rain play in basketball, this is this is or maybe not most rain, but one of the most rain plays in basketball is the one five pick and roll. You have your point guard and your center running a spread pick and roll from the middle of the floor. When when that's happening for Shangun and he gets to switch. He he's really good, man. Like he does just does not allow players to draw fouls. Now, where I have difficulty seeing him playing with Wood is not when they're switch everything in that way, but when they're playing for traditional defense with Shangun and drop, or eventually Shangun defending post ups and Wood off the weak side. Because yes, that may you know Rockets fans will be talking to talking right now while they're listening to this and say, Well, I can't it all, it, it, you need him to be able to play minutes for them to learn to play with each other. But Shangun really struggles on post-ups. Not only do players draw shooting fouls on him, they score more than 55% of the time when matched up against him in the post. That's, and this, this also includes when Wood is there playing next to him too. They're just not that good defensively from the weak side as, as much as you would want them to think or you would want them to be um, when Wood is the one roaming the roaming the weak side and Shingun is playing one-on-one. I just, they really, really struggle. And you're seeing teams attack him over and over and over again on those post-ups. Even if it doesn't end up in a post-up shot, they're creating so much deep positioning that it's allowing three-pointers, it's allowing just open driving lanes. It's, it's, creating, it's creating a high percentage shot for the offense. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at defensively. And just quickly offensively. I think it works well offensively. But if you're not scoring as many possessions as you're allowing defensively for the opposing team to score, obviously your team is going to be a minus 10, minus 12 net rating, which is what we're seeing today. I love when Shangun is that focal point. He should always have the ball at the top of the key. Rockets should just run. The Rockets should have three plays they run repeatedly every position. They should just run split cuts where Shangun is posted up, where he's at the top of the key. And two players run into each other and go in opposite directions and allow Shangun to find a cutter or a shooter. They should run delay action or, or a down screen and allow Shangun to run to a dribble handoff or find a shooter. Or they should just allow Shangun to post up himself or fake the dribble handoff, and which he does at least twice a game, is just slip inside and dunk the ball or get a layup. That should be what they run with Wood every single time on the floor when they're playing together. But can they produce enough stops defensively, Salman? For you to say that they should play more. What, what you basically said there is that you don't believe in those two line in, in those two playing together 
and therefore you don't believe Shingun should receive more minutes because that's the only way he can play more minutes is those two playing together. Basically, is that was that basically what you said? I, I I think he should get more minutes. I just don't know if I like that lineup. Okay, right now, right with both of them together. Right. So I'm 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 with you. I don't I don't like that lineup with those two together at all. I I explained why on the last episode. Basically, there's just too much defensive vulnerability there, uh, especially come playoff time where teams attack your defensive vulnerabilities like constantly like they just keep packing and packing and packing until you crack and like while those two have good chemistry as a tandem like in terms of like a larger team structure offense i don't believe it makes a lot of sense because wood is a screen and roller and shangun is you know obviously he operates in the post he, he operates from the high post the low post wherever you want he operates from the post so they both operate in the paint and the, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense floor spacing wise because there's always going to be if you're running a pick and roll with christian wood there's always going to be a big sagging back in the paint to help because they're not going to help they're, they're not going to be out there defending shangun on the three yet. not yet not yet at least if he gets better as a shooter maybe but they're not gonna they're not gonna be there yet. Transition wise, it doesn't make sense at all. Both both sides of the floor. You know, transition offense, transition defense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I don't believe in that lineup long term as well. But you have to start collecting data because if you don't believe those two can play together, then one of those two players is gonna be here long term and the other one isn't. The Rockets internally have to figure out whether those two can work. You know, I'm like I, I'm just thinking about it while we're talking to each other. I agree they should definitely play. At least we should get more data on it before the trade deadline because ultimately, you know, your team is good enough to win games. And if you win games, that's great. That's just a byproduct of, you know, the, the players on this team and the competitive fire they have. And the fact that Steven South even talked about it, opposing coaches always go up to him and tell him how competitive and, and hardworking his team is. And I think that's a good thing to win a few games or they go on a streak again. But at that expense, someone can make great points, and that's why I tend to agree. This season is about these younger players and seeing what you have so you can establish a roadmap of what you want your future to be. Before the season, you drafted players and you established a hypothetical roadmap with multiple different options. After the season, you're going to know what you have and some of these players, or not what you have, but what skills they have and how you can best hone these skills with future players you bring in. But that only happens if you get continuous amount or if you get continue to get more data from them and a part of that is getting Alperin Shingun more time to play with your best players Jalen Green uh Christian Kevin Wood. Porter Jr. Yeah. Christian Wood who's your best player so and, and and I think you know we were going to talk about this maybe it's a good time to bring him up someone but you know Christian Wood's future in Houston right you know, yeah I I think we can't we can't even answer the question on Shingun playing with Christian Wood if we don't know what Christian Wood's future is here. Now this is just going to well, be us personally I, talking. I think those two are connected, very much connected, because of what we just talked about. If you if those yeah. two can't work together, then it yes. makes Wood's future in Houston murky. Well, that, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you do you? What do you think about Christian Wood and his future possibilities here? I, I don't. We just did a long podcast with with Ben debating this, right? I don't want to keep doing it over and over and over again. I, I think they should trade him. I'm I, I've I've taken that stance. I've you know I've hardened on it. Like I I think eventually they should look to move him, and now is a good as good a time as any because his value is at an all time high. I 
if if I'm looking at this not from a asset accumulation perspective, but from a roster building perspective, one thing I've taken away from my time around the team and just kind of seeing uh, and just kind of looking at the team in general this season, they respect the players in that locker room respect Christian Wood. And when he said last season that he was the leader of this team, I think this season especially you can visibly see it where he's actually the leader. There are moments in the game and people have tweeted about it and they've talked about it where despite what you see on TV in terms of the the conversations, a lot of the competitors, those competitive conversations, he is the leader of the team. And that goes a long way if they can find success. If he can become that leader, he doesn't necessarily have to be the first, second option. He can become a third option eventually. But I think it says something to have players in your organization who are part of your culture, who re, re, repeat and promote what the coaching staff wants as those keys of the future. Um, Jonathan Fagan, you know, OG did a story on this where he did a story on Steven Salas. If you haven't read it yet, definitely go check it out. And he asked uh, Christian Wood kind of like, what are those things that uh, Steven Salas harps on? And Christian would, you know, listed all those different things. And those are some things that he definitely does practice. And you can you can see when you're at when you're at practice, when you're around the team. And, and I, I just I think there's something that speaks for having a leader on your team. Um, and, and you know, Rockets fans may not agree with that, but leadership culture goes a long way. Now, the balance you have to have here is someone and I don't think I would give it to him. Would you offer him a max contract to stay? I would not. And if that's the case, then you are right. His value being on another year on his contract, that and, and the fact that having a stretch big in today's game, those are three things that will allow you to get maximum um, value for him this trade deadline. I think this is the best possible time, like I said, because you get him for this playoff run and you get him for next um, next season as well on a contract. Then maybe you can work on an extension with him if you want him long term for your team. But if you wait till next offseason, then he's just an expiring deal and teams don't necessarily have to trade for him until he becomes a free agent. So I think now, if you want to trade for him, then this goes into kind of what we just talked about. You have to play those minutes with Shangun, see what you have with him next to all four of your guys. I think Josh, or three of you guys, I think right now, Josh Christopher is also playing extremely well and kind of see what happens from there. Okay, so so you said a lot there, and I want to pin you down on this because you 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 kind of didn't answer the question. Do you believe in Alperin Shangun and Christian Wood playing together? Do you believe in those lineups long term? If Shangun can go from a twenty five percent catch and shoot, no, 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 don't caveat it. Do you believe in those lineups <laughs> long term? Uh, right now, no, I do not. Okay, who do you think is more central to their rebuild long term? Like who's a bigger piece to the rebuild, Shangun or Wood? In your- I said this, yeah, I said this on the podcast last year when we were talking about kind of timeline with Christian Wood. I said that you want to is he a part of your timeline? I think the way that your young guys are playing, especially Christopher Green and Shangun, just age wise, um, I just think right now it makes a lot more sense to say that he's not a part of that. Um, and versus Shangun, it should be that kind of five for your team moving forward, especially. If Shane Lung can, can gain those two inches or an inch here and there over the next few years since he's only 19. So you basically agree that they should trade him, <laughs> right? Because if, <laughs> if, if you believe in those two things, then you're with me on this, that they should trade him, but you, you don't want to say it. I think it's more complicated than that. And I, 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 I don't, I don't want to say I, I don't think they should trade him. I just think it's a more complicated answer than just yes or no. 
I mean, here's the thing. Like, if you don't believe in those lineups long-term together, if you, don't, if you don't believe in those two playing together long-term, and if you think one of them is more important than the other, I feel like your answer is there. You just maybe don't be, don't want to say it right now. I, I think I think there's a lot of caveats to it. So. <laughs> okay, well, okay. How about how about another thing? So you brought up the max contract. Would you give Christian Wood a max contract? No, I would not give him a max contract. And and what is his market value going to be right now? Do, what, what do you think he wants? I think he probably wants the full max that you're going to get. <laughs> okay, so what are we? That's doing? why he wants to be an all star. So I'm, we're fat. We're 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 we're, we're talking in circles. We keep coming back to. So you wouldn't pay him the max, and you think he's going to get the max. So you don't think he's going to play. You don't think he's going to fit with Shengun long term, and you think Shengun's more essential to their future. This this all leads back to the same answer. Yeah, yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> no, it's- why I'm saying is because that's one thing I've learned in like my eight nine years is that there's so much that goes into it. So when like when when I get asked a question like that, yes, there's only like. I, like, for example, when I'm on TV and they ask me a question, give me the answer to this. You have to give a TV answer, which is a very, like, quick one to two minute answer, or 30 second answer. I can do that. But when I am on a conversation like this with you, I like to go over the different caveats and different possibilities because that's how the NBA works. Let's say Shangun comes back after All-Star break and he starts shooting 40% from three, which is very unlikely, or you start shooting a th- respectable 35. Then that lineup unlocks a lot more you know? and as of right now to answer your question yes it would make sense to trade him but that being said things can change and it could possibly work i think offensively if shangun can shoot the ball well you can have your three perimeter guards next to shangun and wood in that, in that type of lineup you know who can not only shoot the ball well but play good defense where you're not having players blow by them that type of defense that base defense would like to play with drop or with weak which is what the rockets call it they can also be pretty successful as well so I'm not, I, I just want, it sounds like I'm dodging the question. I'm not trying to dodge it with like saying, oh, I, I care what like, what thinks of me when I ask a question. I, I don't care because I just, I just, right. just ask I don't think you do. Stuff. I don't think you do. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm you know this, like when I, when I'm in a press conference or a locker room, I ask about the basketball. I don't really care when it comes to the other things, but when it comes down to it, like I'm just trying to bring a little bit more nuance to a conversation that I know is very not nuanced at all on Twitter. And so I promise I'm not dodging the question. And and just for our listeners, Solomon and I are really good friends outside of this. So he's just pulling my leg as much as he's talking to me on, on a radio right now or on podcast. Right. I mean, listen, like, I, and, and I was probably being a little mean there, right? And trying to pin you down. But I don't mean to be. I just think... You know, when something's obvious in sports or like you keep coming back to something, when all signs point to something, it's okay to say it. You might be a little early in saying it, but like you'd rather be right than yeah, early, right? Yeah, you have right? to be honest. You have yeah. to be honest. And as of right now, the honest answer is what me and someone just talked about. Right. Yeah. And, and like, I, I, like again, like it's not like, I, I, it's not like I'm aiming to be this hot take dude, right? It's just like, I just think it's the same thing with Shingun, right? Like the reason... The reason I express my frustrations about his playing time is I see such an obviously awesome basketball player, and there's no need to bounce around like how awesome he is. If he's if it's so obvious, right? If if we're if I'm in Galveston and they're, all they're doing is raving about Shengun and comparing him to Nikola Jokic, then it's pretty obvious, right? If 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 the Rockets players see that, and if you know me, you know this dumb media guy sees that, I'm sure it's obvious to a lot more people, you know. And I I just think. You know, now is a, I think perhaps before the season, if you if you didn't have someone like Shingun on the roster and Wood was like your only yeah. building block in the front court, then perhaps yeah. 
you, it wouldn't be this obvious. I feel like it's gotten progressively more obvious, and that's why I've hardened on this. Yeah, last point for me on Shangun. I will say there's not a there's the one comparison I've heard from opposing media, opposing teams, just you know listening and, and talking to them. And I always I always like I I can't believe when they say it because it's like man he's only like eight, 19 years old. I hear the Jokic comparisons all the time. Yeah, and this is same. not just this is not just from like fans or opposing. This is from actual people in basketball scouts or just like uh, people around the league. Jokic is a name you hear constantly when it comes to Shangun, which it may, I obviously saw one that would make you bullish about his possibilities. Yeah, and like like it makes me cringe a little bit too when I hear it, right? But you keep hearing it. Yeah, I mean, we spent probably too long on that on the Christian Wood conversation because I do have more questions to ask you. Um, so we're like six weeks away from the trade deadline, maybe even less than that at this point. I think it's pretty clear that Eric Gordon is going to be traded, and it's 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 looking like they're they might need more roster spots to execute an Eric Gordon trade because that is a pretty sizable contract. And when you look at the roster right now and where you can find roster spots that perhaps Houston could, you know, could find ways to open roster spots. DJ Augustine's an obvious name, right? And he's he's got a pretty, you know, mild contract. I think he's a really good three-point shooter. Like, if you look at his career, he's like a 38% three-point shooter. Still looks like he has some juice in the tank. And I think he can be had for cheap. Like, I, th- I think he can be at, had for like a second-round pick. Does DJ Augustine have a trade market? You know, I I personally don't see a trade materializing for him. Okay, um, oh, yeah. And there's a few there's a few reasons why. One is because I just with a, with a backup point guard like that, I I think in, in the Rockets' history, I think opposing teams are looking at this too. The Rockets do right by their players, which is something that is gonna look, it's gonna it's gonna be good for them moving forward. And I think you know if they don't find anything like that, they'll probably just let him go and find a team, just like they did with Daniel House, just like with other players. But one thing that's really interesting or Something I want—I would like to ask opposing teams who are, may consider DJ Augustine. What would he be for your team? Would he be a backup point guard who's getting the offense in, in order and running pick and roll, or is he going to be a shooter? Personally, I think right now, someone who's better as a shooter. Right. He you is. know, he, he, his field goal percentage is only a hundredth of a percentage better, or I think it's like a yeah, it's a hundredth of a possession uh, percentage better than his three point percentage, just forty one percent for the season. So that's concerning to me. You know, if you're going to be a backup point guard, you have to be able to finish in the paint, run, pick, and roll. Not, not only get things organized, but you have to finish. And he's not doing that above 50%. That's concerning for me. He can shoot the ball as well as he wants to. But if that's the case, then if I'm an opposing team, I'm just waiting for the Rockets to buy him out um, and let him find a team or get it waived. And then I'm going to go pick him back up for, for my team as a shooter off the bench. But as of right now, I just don't see a trade materializing. I think that's very fair. I, I think... Um... The, the three point shooting is really like his redeeming quality. He's a, he's a he's a you know I think he's a competent ball handler, but he's not like a great ball handler, right? I think right now what you're looking at him on a playoff team, he's probably your fourth guard. You know, he's not maybe not in the top three, but like probably your fourth and guard. You, you don't trade for your you don't trade a second round pick for your fourth guard. I think second round picks from at least from what I've seen the last few trade deadlines, they get you pretty good like seventh, eighth man in your rotation type of players. I think right now, if he gets to a different a contending team, he'd be that ninth or tenth player on the team to kind of solidify their depth, uh, depth for their team. So I just I don't see him getting traded. Um, I think if he does, he gets attached to Aaron Gordon, 
and goes, but more than likely he'll probably just get allowed to pick a team he wants to. Or he might even stay. I think he does a great job within the locker room, within the players, just getting the offense organized to way Silas likes it. Wouldn't even surprise me if he's not traded. Yeah, I just to, to me it's like I look at the Eric Gordon thing, and they're gonna. I I think they're probably going to need roster spots because eighteen million dollars is a hell of a lot of money uh, for one for them to absorb just one player. Yeah. By, by, by the way, on Eric. I yeah. We're, 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 we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. I, I don't want to. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think it's I I I remain open to the idea that they can find a suitor for Augustine. I I think at the, at this moment I'd probably say fifty fifty. That they find a trade partner for Augustine. If not, I think I think he probably gets waived because because I think they're going to need the roster spots. But he can't help them. Obviously, they don't have much point guard help outside of Kevin Porter Jr. and um, Eric Gordon when he's ball handling for them. But yeah, it's it, it's it's one of those things where like it's kind of like the Pablo Prigioni trade with the Rockets made like a few years ago with the Sixers. I think was it the Sixers? I think it was the Sixers. They traded a second round pick for Pablo Prigioni. Right. That's kind of the kind of trade you you think about for for um, Augustine. It's one of those things where it, it happens, but I think the it's possible like you like you're saying the the value for a second round pick has gone up over the past few years. I oh man. Do you but do you, do you want do you want I think it depends also on the type of protections you want to pick too, right? If you get a second round pick, what kind of protections can they get back? Can they use that pick and draft night moving forward? That's just a part of the conversation actually as well now. I guess if 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 you're gonna get like heavy protections to the, if it's like the Porter Junior trade where you're you're just trading a nothing second round pick, then obviously don't do that. I guess if I were Houston, I would probably I'd probably lean more towards if if it's a light protection, I'd do it. And don't discount the fact that the Rockets, who are still very much players in the international game, may want the rights to a specific player internationally and may get that type of um, second-round pick that has nothing that will never really convey if it allows them to get, like, get that type of uh, international rights prospect. Because there's yeah, someone, as you know, they are still very much involved in scouting uh, internationally. Right, right. And they have beefed up, they have beefed up their scouting over the past year. Um so what should Houston's asking price be for Eric Gordon at the trade deadline? And I think, listen, I've said it dating back since this summer. I think they can get a first round pick for Eric Gordon. I, I think I think that's what they're probably aiming for. But what should their floor be? Should they should they be willing to accept like a second round pick and like a compelling young prospect, or should they be willing to accept like two or three second round picks? Like what should the floor be for trading Eric yeah. Gordon? So I've thought about this a lot. I think two second round picks and a young player or a first wow. round pick. Two is, two is, and a young player. Two and a young player or okay. a first round pick. Let's look at Eric Gordon right now. And I mean, my eyes don't deceive me. I don't think other NBA teams' eyes deceive them too. He's playing like an all defensive player right now. I think I can make the argument that he's an all defensive second team or possibly first team type of player the way he's played against opposing uh, opposing perimeter guys and also in the post. Do you have the and data in front of you on that right now? Um, I do not have it in front of me. I can pull it up uh, while we talk about him. But I mean, just in terms of what he does for this team on the perimeter, you can't discount the fact that he's blowing things up. He's just doing a terrific job. All right, so I have some stats in front of me. I'll, I'll go through it. Um, in terms of playing dribble handoffs, 65th percentile. In terms of spot ups, 83rd percentile. Isolation, 45th percentile, which is average. But you know that's just because he hasn't had a lot of possessions no, on those. I meant the defensive stats. Because you were, you were yeah, saying, 
Oh, okay. okay. Defensive stats. Yeah, okay, these okay. are just defending overall. Okay. You know, the stats, I don't necessarily think will back me up on this, but I think it's not a coincidence, someone, when you listen to post-game press conferences after the Rockets play a team, they always point out Eric Gordon and how well he played against said star player. Right. Um, so, so for me, and the fact that, you know, coaches play a significant role in terms of the types of players that get selected or are in the conversation, I generally think Eric Gordon is playing like one of the best perimeter defenders in basketball right now. And that is something that you put at a good price for yourself to be able to give assets back. So with that and the fact that he's shooting also extremely well. Um, really well. You know, yeah. you know he, he's... You know, like you know, like how Craig Craig will whisper splash or something like that. I don't know, man. He's he's shooting really that well right now. Like if I'm looking at his unguarded shots, okay, this is what I think is unbelievable. He's 98th percentile right now in just unguarded shots. That means at least six feet away, nobody's defending him. So when you put put space around him, he's shooting almost 60 percent from the field on catch and shoot shots that are unguarded. Threes, he, threes, 60 percent. That is insane. He's shooting uh, 41% on threes overall, um, but 60% on those types of catch-and-shoot shots, which I think is just absolutely um, unbelievable. And, and it, it, it's one of those things where that's different from the rest of his career. He used to be better at off-the-dribble off the shooting than off-the-catch. Yeah. I'm surprised. That's really surprising. Yeah. And, and let's look at a few more things just really quick. I'm going to talk about him. Um, when I look at if he gets right to a team, he's likely not going to be that first or second or third option. He's probably going to be the third or fourth option, maybe fifth. But even then, these are things that you look for whenever you're having a player play in the last few minutes. You want to see how they play well in isolation in case they get a switch. He's shooting pretty well, 51%. He shoots, uh, the team shoots around 38 to 40% um, on the, uh, whenever he has the ball in his hands and have isolation. Pick and roll, he's shooting pretty well on that too. Spot up, which is big for me. He, He's the the out of out of on a possession where you know he is getting a spot up shot. They're scoring one point two points per possession, which is ninetieth percentile of the league. I mean that's that's great. I mean he he's playing as well as you want a secondary secondary or tertiary guard on the floor to play for your team. And I think he can be a difference maker for a team looking to win a championship. If I'm a team like Utah. If I'm a team like the Clippers before this Paul George injury, but now maybe not the Clippers, Phoenix. If I'm a team like Atlanta, you know, I am looking at bringing Eric Gordon in because he's going to be the type of player I think that can vault you up a couple ranks into a top elite status. Um, I, I just, you know, one, and, and just lastly, one team who I think he just seamlessly fits on, and I think he could be such a terrific player for them, um, is Phoenix. Um I think if he ever got traded to Phoenix, you replace Jay Crowder with Eric Gordon, and, and, and just and you have Booker, Gordon, Paul, Bridges, and Aiton. Or if you want to play five, switch everything and take Aiton out and play Crowder in there. I mean, who's stopping that Phoenix Suns team? That I mean, so so I think about that a lot. I think Eric Gordon is he's going to be a very happy guy if he gets traded. But you know, one question I want to ask you, someone, is: Do you think he should get traded? Or do you think he will get traded 100%? 100% he's getting traded. <laughs> um, uh, but as far as like his, his value, uh, I, I, it's surprising. You're actually like slightly higher on Eric Gordon than I am. Like I, I, I'd i be... Well, I'm very high on him. Yeah, very like, and, and I'm, I was very high on him too. Like I, when people were bashing him over the summer, I was like, dude, like this guy's still really good. And like, I think, I think this idea of him being this, this 
contract that's just like a monstrosity on Houston's books. I think that was a mischaracterization. I thought he was actually a fair value contract. And I thought, you know, like he's one of the best role players in basketball, like straight up. I think he's, you know, at the trade deadline, he's whatever team he's going to be one of the prizes at the trade deadline. Like you right up there with Harrison Barnes, Jeremy Grant, whoever the hell. Like he's going to be one of the one of the main targets, I think. And I, if I were Houston, like what I had it said at is like I'd be willing to accept a trade as a fallback option of like one second round pick and and a young player. I think that's probably the lowest I'd go. But in general, my my goal with Garrett with Gordon is obviously you want to get that first round pick because I think you know you, you rarely get the opportunity to have one of these players before the trade deadline. You know, one a player that everybody wants, a player that literally everybody wants and can fit into so many different lineups good defensively as you said um great shooter um you know really good at driving the basket still underrated in that aspect just gets to the rim at will uh when he gets a full when he gets a full head of steam and he's so dependable and coaches love him and is not afraid of the moment come playoff time like he's had so many big playoff games for the Rockets over the years he's battle tested not he's experienced in these moments so people know that he he can he is someone that will be in your you know closing six closing five whatever wherever the hell it depends on your roster he can be in in that group for you in the playoffs for sure so I guess I want to end I guess I want to end on this how far do you believe they'll go at the trade deadline? And is there anybody on this roster that you can you will you currently label as untouchable? Like I, what are we talking how far though? By the way, how far do you think they'll go? Do you think okay, so they're just going to trade Eric Gordon and and and, oh. and and that's it? Or do you think they'll go more? They'll go farther than that? You know, perhaps trade Christian Wood or you know go for go even crazier than that. Because they, they they have a lot of salary that they can move out that's valuable. Like just to name a few, obviously Eric Gordon, Christian Wood, valuable salary, Jay Sean Tate, a valuable salary. You know, like they they can if they really wanted to, they can really go for something crazy at the deadline. Especially with so many star players or like uneasy situations around the league, they can get involved in a lot of crazy stuff. Like you, you look at like the the Sixers with Ben Simmons, or you look at like. The, the Nets with Kyrie Irving, if they decide to move on from him because he's only playing road games or whatever, right? Like there there are a bunch of situations where even if Houston is not directly going for like the star player, they could be a facilitator of a star player trade because or they the have Lakers with Russell Westbrook. Oh, wait, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> are you though? Are you though? I'm, like, ki- I'm kidding. Okay. I'm all right. <laughs> all right. Well, well, what I'm saying is that they can they can be an arbiter of a lot of stuff at the trade deadline. I'm sure they're getting phone calls because they have so much salary on their books, and I'm sure like they are, they're in these Simmons conversations where you see this reporting of like they're they're the Sixers are trying to form these multi team trades. Where like I'm sure the Pacers and the Rockets are right there in terms of like teams that they would call for multi team trades. So here's here's how far I think they're gonna go. Um, I think it's a, you know, you're right. I think it's a fairly good shot. Eric Gordon gets traded just because of the the value he has right now and how well he's playing. And I just think it makes a lot more sense for the organization to hopefully find them a good spot um, to compete for a championship. Um, I don't think they're going to try Christian Wood. I don't think they're going to try John Wall. I think that all comes that conversation gets pushed towards the off season. Now, in terms of untouchables on the roster, I think Jalen's untouchable number one. Shangun, yeah, and I would venture to say Josh Christopher is like a 
that possible other untouchable. But other than that, I don't see him with an untouchable on this team. So, and Josh Christopher's also a maybe, but I'm personally very high on Josh Christopher and what I think he can be for this team, especially with the skill that he has. He sh- he's proven me wrong. I will personally come out and say, and, and I talked about this after, during the summer with you, I was not very high on Josh Christopher. Um, I, Neither was I, I. I wouldn't say I yeah. wasn't very high, but I just, I wasn't like, I, I was like, you know, they could have probably gone in another direction. Um, but he is terrific. I think he's going to have a very, very high ceiling in this league um, just because of the skill he has and how smart he is. I didn't realize how smart of a player he was and how quick of a learner he is. He's really worked on things with Mahmoud Abufata and the training staff for the G League, and he, he's really impressed me. So I would venture to say he's in an untouchable category as well. So those three for me would be it. So it's interesting. So I view untouchable as like I'm not even willing to entertain a conversation on this right yeah and, no for me that would those three would be it those okay three for yeah, me would be yeah. It. right and for me with untouchable players i think there's like really 10 guys in the league that are untouchable at all times and that's usually that's basically how i define it is like if you're good enough to be the best player on, on championship team theoretically one day then you're untouchable otherwise i'm at least listening on everybody and I don't think there's anybody on the roster that's untouchable at this moment because I don't think there's anybody. Well, that's not fair, Solomon. I could say I could listen to a conversation on Jalen Green right now. I mean, well, yeah. Well, would you trade him though? Would you have listened to a conversation at James, on James Harden in his prime while he was happy in Houston? No, right? Like, I th- I think that that's kind of where I would draw the bear. I got you. Yeah, I yeah. Got you. Okay. I think he. I think though. I think I I put Shingun and Green in that reluctant to move category. I, I wrote an article about, about my tears on this, by the way. And I think everybody else, I'm having conversations and with some like Eric Gordon and Christian Wood, I'm having more aggressive conversations, right? And as far as like, Green and Shangun, like, listen, like, I think, yeah, you should definitely not, tra- probably not trade them right now, but they're not, they're definitely not in that category for me right now. I've, I would say as far as the direction they go at the trade deadline, I'd agree. I, I don't think they tr- they go super nuclear. I think they played safe. They probably trade they probably trade Gordon and they probably try to find a home for Augustine. And that's where I'd probably land on where I think they're going to go. Uh, where I think they should go is I think they should go nuclear. <laughs> Let's see. I mean, it's, it's going to be very interesting. And if I can make an adjustment based off the definition you gave, because I agree with you on that. Yeah, untouchable is very strict and very strong word to use if that's the case i would probably put just uh jalen for the sake of where they drafted him um as untouchable to them right now but otherwise i think everybody else they would probably have a conversation about fair enough depending and, on the person. And, and like i have no problem with you having a different definition of untouchable by the way like if you if you believe those two are unt- if you believe those three are untouchable i have no problem with it like it's like it's just you know I think um, this this is how I just think of it mentally. When, like when I'm trying, to, when I'm. No, I, I love the James Harden analogy. I think that's a very good analogy. I guess we can end with this. Like, how do you think they're doing rebuilding wise? How do you think the front office is doing? Like, do you think they've done a good job from Rafael Stone gets the job till now? Give him a B. I think it's fine. Um, I think it's too early for me to even give him a grade. I'm just saying B right now just because it's too early. Not a B because I think overall grade is a B. Could end up becoming an A. Could end up becoming a C. I think just B is just a good average to say I need more data or more time to see. I think I'm slowly learning what Rafael Stone wants in players. The athleticism that he wants, the speed that he wants, the quickness, the length. I'm learning about those types of skills that he, he values. 
learning about silence in this offense. I think I think one I know we talk about all the time, but it's I think still think it's too early to judge on Silas. I don't think he's been able to do things that he wants to do offensively would make him an offensive genius. He's had to play a very, very much vanilla, bland style of basketball where you have actions and those actions are the foundation of your system. And you can't run counters to those actions until the players masters those actions. So I think that's just the next step for them kind of moving forward um, is just to be able to see how will they do when these players get more playing time. Um, but right now, I just give him an average rating, give him a B. How about you? I, I, that's kind of where I have them too. Like I, I have Rafael Stone as a B since he took over. Uh, I think he's done the big stuff uh pretty you know largely how i would have approached it right like i think the james harden trade for example i would have taken the the picks package over the simmons package right i think i i thought that was just an, an, an extreme amount of draft capital crap capital to, to obtain and it would it would be hard for me to pass up on that uh minor stuff you know like i i think i would have taken lavert in that trade instead of oladipo but they might view things differently. Maybe they really wanted expiring salary and they they were willing to entertain the idea of Oladipo being better than he was. So they took him on as a gamble and had the expiring salary as like a fallback if things don't go well. But um, that's kind of that's minor. You know, that's like, that's like one extra first round pick, right? Like Levert is probably yeah. worth like one extra first round pick. Um, yeah. And as far as like the, the draft, like, I, I probably would have, you know, you know, you and I were in the same camp. I probably would have taken Mobley, but like I thought Green was a defensible pick. I thought he was in that tier of players that I had at the number two position. I had Cade in a tier by himself, and I had Mobley, you know, right there with Suggs and Green. You know, I thought those three were in the same tier as far as a number two pick. And I, I personally would have put Mobley at the top of that tier, but I thought anybody in that tier would have been defensible. So I had no problem with that pick. Um, and the Shangun trade, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought that was that's the kind of trade that Mori would have made, right? That's the kind of like I'm betting on this height, this this prospect because I think he's undervalued by the rest of the market. I remember where I was for that trade. I was in DC and I was getting food from this Haral Pizza place, and I get a text on my phone saying, "Hey, heads up, Rockets move up," and I was I was like, "Oh, it looks like they made a trade." Um, I was on my phone at that time. I was like, I'm going to have to watch. And then a few minutes later, I got texting, hey, it's, uh, it's going to be Shingun. And I was like, man, you know, you know, and someone, we, you and I never had a chance to talk about Shingun before the draft, but just, you know, having studied him as well, just for players in that first round range, he was somebody who really caught my eye for how skilled he was. And the immediate thought for me was, you know, when players come from these leagues where they're playing extremely at a high level and he was an MVP, you just know that they're going to have those skills that translate well. And he's really shown that he's just played smart basketball and, you know, happy for him, you know, ha- always happy to see NBA players play well. And so good, good for him. Good for the team. Yeah. Listen, like it's, I had him seventh on my board and like, he has looked every bit as good. Like he is, he's looked awesome. Um, and I think, I think the Rockets deserve a lot of credit for taking that while a lot of general managers passed on Jengun. you know, he fell to 16 where you really, there, he had no business falling out of the lottery and the thunder are going to have to nail these mystery box picks that they take that they got in exchange for shangun because if they just traded shangun for like your average joe schmo first round pick oof, 
Like that's it's it's right now. It's just looking pretty rough. It's that trade is looking pretty one sided right now. But we'll see how those picks end up uh, going because you know obviously we don't know where they're going to land in the draft. Um, yeah, yeah. And the Christopher pick, I'm with you. I I I underrated him too. Like I I I did not have him going in the first round. To be frank, like I I had him as a second round pick. Um, I I didn't even watch much tape on it. Like really, I I, I really only f- watched a bunch of first round tape. Because the Rockets only had first round picks, and I didn't think they would be they'd be a buyer um, in the second round. So I, 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 he was not somebody that I watched extensively uh, because I didn't think he'd go in that range. And uh, he has definitely outperformed where I thought he'd be, and looked every bit a first round pick for sure. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm agree with you. I think that I think they've done a good job. We we actually went longer than I thought we were gonna go. We we're like at a, like an hour and twenty, and I'm probably gonna have to cut a lot of time out because we wasted a lot of time rambling about the Shingoon and Wood stuff, and like I've talked too much about that in past podcasts. So we're gonna cut a little bit of that out. We're gonna cut a little bit of that out so it's more listenable for you guys, the audience. Um, but I enjoyed this conversation, man. I haven't talked to you in a minute. I haven't had you on the podcast in a minute. So yeah, I, bro, it's been I, you know I I, I was on locked on and i talked about this too i just had a lot of things that um i've had to deal with someone you know right uh, yeah how close we are personally so i appreciate your friendship and you being there for me and uh i'm glad that i'm able to start getting back into it and kind of covering the team and talking basketball again so thanks for having me on yeah i'm just keeping your seat warm buddy like when you're ready to come back into the press room that's all i'm doing that's all i'm doing (laughs) but yeah i mean it's again like we rarely get to talk extensively about the Rockets. When I see you, we don't talk about the Rockets. Like we talk about no, honestly, people have this misconception that our lives revolve around basketball. But when me and someone meet up, we talk about anything but basketball. Right. Yeah. It's it's I'd I prefer not to talk about basketball when I meet up with Yeah, with, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um but yeah, this is fun. Uh where can we follow you on Twitter and read your work? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Rockets underscore insider. Um and I have some Big surprises coming for y'all, coming for y'all this new year. So excited to share them coming soon. I'm intrigued. I am intrigued. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, guys. Subscribe to me on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoy the show because that really helps other people find the show. And yeah, guys, good night. <laughs> <laughs>